Friends, a very warm uh, greeting from my church, Aldersgate Methodist Church. And I uh, just want to say thank you to the pastors and to the WSCS. Uh, WSCS ladies are somewhere outside, right? just want to thank them for inviting me to share God's word with you. Uh, I'm given the topic of uh, building truth in our lives. Uh, can we have the slides, please? Okay, as they are turning on the slides, just to say that I've tried to see whether it can be connected to Mother's Day or WSES Sunday, but I think the message is for everybody. So, okay, I'm going to invite you to read the scripture with me, but let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we just ask that you will open our hearts and minds, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. In the name of Christ, Amen. And I invite you to read the passage with me at this point of time. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and we put on new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, okay, sorry. Therefore, each of you must put forth falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I don't know about you, but uh, it looks a bit convoluted, the passage. And so to understand the passage, I've just broken it down into a few slides for us to get a big picture of what it's saying. Basically, it's saying this. The problem is that of the heart. There's a hardening of the heart, and that leads to affecting our thinking. Our thinking is affected, and we are darkened in our understanding, and we are in ignorance of what should be the right things to do. And that results in us being separated from God and moving into things that is not of God. How then should we live it us? We are called to put off the old self and put on the new self. In an individual way, it means we need to change our lives. In a corporate dimension, it means that we need to put off falsehood, speak truthfully to our neighbor. Now, some of you will say, oh, yeah, you know, it's very basic teaching. Lah. So today I want us to look at the passage in a different way. And there are three thoughts for us to look at. Three thoughts that will help us to focus on this. Now remember, where the problem starts is the heart. The heart is mentioned more than 1,000 times in the Bible. It refers to the center of the person. But the key verse for us to look at is actually Proverbs 4.23. It basically says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You see, the danger for us is a hardened heart. When our hearts are hardened, it becomes unable to respond to whatever God's doing. And we ask, how does the heart harden? Number one, sin. Sin causes our hearts to harden, especially unrepentant sin. 
And it says in Romans 1, God gave them over to this, to that, and the other, because they were not responsive to God. Now let's get a bit close to what we are talking about. Sins of commission. I'm sure we are guilty in some ways. I hear some laughter. Sins of commission. Some are guilty of that too. People might not know. Sins of commission. How do we treat our helpers at home? Do we give them Maggie Me and we are eating other things, whatever's left over? That's sins of commission. It's a hardened heart. Sins of omission. Okay? Ignoring justice and issues in the country. I don't know, every time I go to Topayo and I see old men and old ladies collecting things like tin cans, Coca-Cola cans, collecting trash stuff, my heart bleeds. I weep inside. Does it not pull you to say that this is not right? You're not doing this for exercise. It's something that they really need. What are we doing about it as a church? What about migrant workers? Years ago, uh, years ago, I, when I was at Living Hope Methodist Church, there is this um, place near a giant, Ikea, you know that place, right? Courts, that place in Tampanese. When I went over there, we discovered that there was this um, migrant workers' quarters. Now, this is actually in two coup de sac, uh, uh, what do you call it, industrial park or whatever it is, but it's very small. And if you don't have any lung problem, when you go there, you will surely get lung problems. Because the concrete mixers are there, and they are living there. And when I brought my LCC there to look at the issue, we went in a convoy. We managed to get inside, and what, what we saw really shocked us. Because inside, it's like Singapore way back in the 50s, kerosene lamps. And they were cooking in streets, that, you know, in, in the inside part of it that looks very dirty. And they were people who come to our nation to work. There are nice uh, hostels for them, but many of them are in places like that. Question is, are we doing anything about it as Christians? Way back in 2010, when I was in sabbatical, I was involved in a puppy mill rescue in our um, Basiris site. And this was one of the dogs. You know the dogs that you spend time in looking at and buying like seven, $8,000? This is what their mothers look like to this Mother's Day. And we rescued, this dog is okay now, it's in my friend's house. But the thing is, you know, we should have checked to see what the situation is. But they are supposed to have checked, but that's the situation. We have to bring a lot in for pyometra operations and stuff like that. What are we doing about it? Sins of omission. There's a story that some of you might know. Red Indian man told his son. He says there are two dogs, uh, two Two wolves living in each of us. There's a white wolf and a black wolf. And you know one represents good, one represents bad. And the son of course is interested. Which one will win? The two of them are fighting each other. And the father says, the one you feed. And sometimes if we keep feeding the wrong one, it rules our lives. Whether it takes us to doing sins that are sins, active sins, sins of commission, or it leads us to doing nothing when we should be doing something. When our conscience is seared and our hearts are closed. We cannot see, act justly. Because somehow our hearts are hard. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, 
I think you're familiar with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the word mourn actually refers to not just crying for general things, but for those who have died. I mean, it's kind of funny, you know, you won't go to a funeral and say, you know, happy are you, blessed are you. But what is it saying? It's saying that our idea of happiness, which is from a hardened, protected heart, is I am a rock. A rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Uh, those of you from the older generation will know that this is coming from Simon and Garfunkel, is it? Also? No, no older generation people. Yeah, I see some of you say, yeah. Yeah, it's from there. And, and that's our understanding of happiness, where we don't feel any pain, we don't feel any hurt. But Jesus says happiness comes to those who feel, those who can feel pain. Sorry, I'm just trying to get this thing working because I'm not too used to your clicker here. Happiness is when you can feel pain for our sins and for the sins of other people. When you bleed inside because you see something is wrong and you need to write it in the name of the Lord. You see, King David wept in repentance, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. Happy are those, blessed are those who mourn, who can feel the pain of others. They will receive comfort. And comfort doesn't mean sayang, sayang, don't cry, you know, kind of comfort. The comfort God gives us is this old understanding of the word comfort, which means strengthen. Instead of being a weak person because you can feel pain of other people, you become a strong person because he will empower you inside. There is fortitude inside. So what have we talked about so far? We have said the problem starts with the heart and the heart affects how we think. We need to guard our hearts for it is the place where God's life can flow forth. And maybe the question for us this morning is, you know, is it something that we should do regarding our hearts? Is my heart hardened by something? Our hearts can be hardened by repeated sins. The second way in which our hearts can be hardened is when we are arrogant, when there is pride. Now, let me just stop for a while because some of you will be immediately thinking of, oh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, so it's God's fault, right? When you think of hardening the heart. But if you look at scripture, basically what it means is, the Hebrew understanding is, God gives him freedom, he hardened his heart, he closed the close to his heart, God affirmed it and allowed it. So actually Pharaoh is responsible for hardening his heart. Okay, let's go back to the issue of pride. Pride basically says, I'm better, stronger, I don't need anyone. I can feel free to do whatever I want with my power without any restraint. It is basically me, mine, myself. And it comes out in the mouth. It comes out in the mouth in the way we speak to other people, the way we treat others, because the heart betrays the hearts. The, the, the mouth betrays the heart's secrets. We can express anger, bitterness and hurt, or we can express joy and happiness through our mouths. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And maybe the question we need to ask is, is my heart hardened by pride? The third thing that hardens our hearts are setbacks and disappointments. Some of us have been very hurt in the past. We have been very open-hearted until something happens. That's a very interesting, sort of almost obscure story in Mark chapter 8, where the disciples were out in the uh, open waters, as it were, the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And uh, this was after the, uh, 
the multiplication of 5,000, you know, bread and food to feed all these people. And uh, they forgot to bring bread. So they got a bit upset because Jesus asked them, you know, about the bread or whatever it is. And Jesus says, be careful, watch out for the yeast, the Pharisees and all that. And they discussed it and they said, he must be upset with us because we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, are you still talking about no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Because Jesus was talking about something else. But they could not see it. Why? Because their hearts were hardened by their previous experiences. What were their previous experiences? Okay, they experienced Jesus multiplying food. But they also experienced in their whole life the, the oppression from the Romans and other conquerors. They, they also experienced poverty in their midst where people were suffering. And sometimes we have hardened hearts and we need to ask the question, is my heart being protected by myself because I'm afraid of other disappointments? Where we have bitterness and cynicism, does it come from hurt? We dare not hope anymore because if we hope, our hopes might be dashed again. We dare not try, we dare not be open and be hurt again. It could be that. The Lord is not condemning us for that. He wants to heal us. So, what we have said so far, hardened hearts come from repeated sins, from pride, from disappointments, and from hurts. And the result is, as we have said earlier, we are separated from God, and from the good things of God, we begin to slide into the dark side. And maybe this morning, in your heart, even as you listen, pray this prayer. Heal my heart, O Lord. God alone knows our hearts. He's the one who looks deep inside when people look at the outward side. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. God knows our hearts, even if we don't. And how do we keep our hearts open? Scripture says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It doesn't mean just memorizing the words. It means letting God speak to us through what we have read about his word so that it will begin to change us and convict us to change our lives. Psalmist in Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my mind. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along in the path of righteousness or the path of everlasting life. So how then should we live? We have looked at this picture of, uh, okay, of putting off old self, putting on new self. The internal part needs to be changed. Okay, and we want to look at this part. This is something that we want to focus on at this point, and that is dying to self. It's interesting, we've passed Easter, but we are still in the Easter season. Uh, Luke 24, which speaks about the resurrection. And there were three encounters the people had with the risen Christ. The first one was by the women. The second was by the, the two people going to Emmaus. And then the third was with the disciples. And in all encounters, Jesus spoke about death and resurrection. He spoke about his suffering and his resurrection. Not just about resurrection. Because his disciples couldn't understand why he had to suffer. So he talked about it. You know, we tend to move very fast to happy news. We always have, as the symbol of the Protestant church, usually the cross rather than the crucifix. And we tend to identify the crucifix with the Roman Catholics. 
We always joke with our Roman Catholic friends, you know. Hey, he's already risen. Why are you still leave him up in the cross? But I think there's this wisdom in that. Because it's saying something to us. You know, like the disciples, we have problems accepting that Jesus must suffer. That we also must suffer with him. The disciples couldn't understand when Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He says we are going to be going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will suffer. They didn't understand it. Neither did Peter because Peter pulled him aside and Peter actually scolded him. Lord, it can never happen to you and Jesus rebuked him. What they wanted out of Jesus was something that we normally want out of Jesus. What can I get out of it? We try to avoid Good Friday too. What the disciples wanted of Jesus was the throne. What can we benefit? What rewards are there for us? And so they were shocked, you can imagine, when Jesus was crucified. We too try to escape pain. We try to avoid looking at the dark side, like dying. Because we come to Jesus, come to think of it, isn't that true? We come to Jesus because we want a pie in the sky when we die. We want forgiveness. We want healing, prosperity, blessing, everything good. But then, Jesus says, Easter is about realization that the Messiah needs to suffer before Easter Sunday. And the key verse is this one in Second Corinthians, where it says, His purpose in dying is that we might die to ourselves and live for him who died for us. Dying to self is very much a part of the Christian faith. It says you must take up your cross daily and follow me. It's central teaching of Jesus. Romans 6, chapter, 4, uh, chapter, chapter 6, verse 4 onwards, it says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. If we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Now you ask, what does this mean when we talk about dying to self and living for him? Okay. Basically, it means dying to must-be-me syndrome. I think we have a lot of this must-be-me syndrome. I must be me, so I must express how I feel. I'm being honest with you. Frankly, la, this is what I am. You want me? This is what I am. I'm telling you the truth. This is me. We, we tend to live with that kind of syndrome. But we forget that the present me is not the me that he wants us to be. The present me is not the one, the real me. The real me is what he's calling out of me. The present me is the sinful me that he says, let it die. And this, let it sink in. The present me is the me that he wants us to put to death. That we might be able to be a different person, a different identity in him. So when we say, thy kingdom come, we are saying, my kingdom go. You see, what happens when it's this must be me syndrome takes place? It means we are angry with someone, we blurt out insults and bad words. It just happens in cars. Huh? You know, when we go around and then something happens, you know, immediately horns come out. Uh, happens to me too, lah, huh? so I'm not confessing your sins, my sins too. Huh? That's why I don't have sticker, Christian sticker in my car, and very embarrassing. <laughs> Also, we see injustice, and we tend to be neutral. Let somebody else suffer. Lah. Why do I want to stick my neck out? Why speak out in the office? We tend to keep quiet, and this is sense of omission. We must speak out. Someone says bad about an enemy, we say, yeah, 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 yeah. We add fuel to the fire. Okay, now I'm going to go to something a bit more painful. It's more real in our lives. You know... 
At the moment, it's just drizzling. But what if it rains very heavily? It's raining very heavily after service. And I've seen a lot, and I don't know about your church, and my church also it happens. People very happily in cars go and makan. And then there are fellow members standing down there waiting for bus or MRT or somewhere, no umbrella, trying to get out of there. I've been to one of those big crusades, uh, the Anaconda Crusade. I don't know how many of you were there, but it rained every night. This is long, some time ago. Lah, huh? It rained every night. Now, I used to laugh at the Roman Catholics and say, you know, whenever your VIP come, huh, the Pope, la Mother Teresa come, it will rain because you all created umbrellas to sell. So therefore, God answers your prayer. It always rains. But Anaconda, well, it was pouring every night. And every night you see people, you finish very late, People standing at the bus stop waiting for buses to go to MRT, to catch the MRT to go home before it closes. And then Christians happily driving out. I don't know how many times I went back to go and pick up people that I don't know. I'm not saying I'm good, but I'm saying, you know, we should zutong, you know. Actively do something that you see is happening before us. These are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes when we go to church, we stick to our cliques. I don't know about you, but I know it happens in my church. We stick to our cliques. And then newcomers, uh, they're all sticking by the notice boards, you know. Because, you know, uh, that's the best place to hide from people when you don't know what to do, right? You go and stick a notice board, read everything, read all the, the pamphlets, whatever. And you can catch them. When you see people standing alone, go and approach them. Rather than being, you know, I keep to myself, to my group, I'm comfortable. But we say, oh, yeah, everybody does it anyway. You know, I, again, I don't know about your church, but I think you might have a bigger problem because you've got three conferences there. In my church, car park no space, people insist on double parking, then scold the traffic warden, and then no car park, go home. Okay? Your car park, I don't know, huh? but I've heard stories where you've got three conferences share, and then after Holy Communion, Lagi Taro huh, is Holy Communion, there's fights in the car park. It happens, maybe in the past, maybe not here. But then, you know, how do we live out dying to self? It could be inner issues. You know, all the time, we've invited a lot of great speakers from abroad to come and preach in Singapore. I have never in my 39 years as a pastor heard anybody being invited to Singapore to preach on one specific topic, fasting. Why? Because we are quite gluttonous uh, in Singapore, Right? You see Facebook posts, a lot of food everywhere. Maybe that's something that we need to deal with in our own lives. Pride, envy, lust. Remember what it says in Scripture, the passage that we read just now in Second Corinthians. His purpose in dying is that we might die to ourselves and live for Him. Dying to self, taking up our cross daily to follow Him. He is victorious, true. He loves me, yep, but I must die to self. Not, I have to be me. Which part is he asking me to die to? Maybe that's something to ask him. You know, one way of looking at what areas he wants us to die to is to look at the covenant prayer. The Wesleyan covenant prayer, which we say usually at the end of the year or the beginning of the next year. He says, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. That's what we are talking about. 
putting off old self, putting on yourself. We are talking about the inner life, our own life. But then corporate dimension also. As members of the body, it says, putting off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. And so we are moving into the third level, which is to help each other grow in holiness. Now what it means, or what it doesn't mean, is we don't go around and telling other people, ah, you, ah, you, you're bad in this, you're bad in that, and then scolding everybody else. What it means is this. And I'm going to just pause and let you engage you in something else so you get engaged and thinking, okay? When you think of Salvation Army, what do you think of? What do you think of? Trip shop. Okay. You think of also their social work, right? Because that's their distinctive calling. They do quite a lot of social work. When you think of Assembly of God, what do you think of? Signs and wonders, speaking in tongues. Well, Reverend Malcolm Tan and I grew up together and we used to joke about it. We call it the Hotoboroto Ministry. Or rather, the Hotoboroto Porongpong Ministry. They speak in tongues, Hotoboroto, and then Porongpong, the people fall kind of ministry. Then we talk about the Baptist. Okay. What do you think of when you think of Baptist? Immersion baptism, that's right. My joke about Baptist is how do they speak in tongues underwater? Blah, blah, blah. Now, when you think of Methodist, what do you think of? I can tell you when I ask people, uh, think Methodist, first thing they tell me, wow, Methodists are very rich. They think of Bakaro and Wesley. Uh, and Methodists are into education, right? And Methodists are very methodical, everything three quotes. But you know, the calling of the Methodist Church, it took me a long while before I discovered it. I wasn't thought about it in Trinity College when I was there in the 70s. The calling of the Methodists is not all these things. It is holiness. Holiness in heart and life. John Wesley says, God raised the Methodists to reform the nation. I'm trying to get this clicker going. To reform the nation, particularly the church, and to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. And this is the grand deposit that God put in the Methodist church. And when a person is ordained as a Methodist elder, the person has to answer the question, are you going on to perfection? Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Are you earnestly striving after it? So for us, holiness, not happiness, is our chief end. We are called to build a culture based on growing in holiness. And this is something very important. Now, John Wesley's groups have this question, these four questions to look at. Just listen to it and think whether you can do it in your cell group. What known sins have you committed since our last meeting? What temptations were you met with? How were you delivered? What have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be sin or not? Have you nothing you desire to keep secret? Very thorough, the question. Very serious. It's scary. I mean, I'm looking forward to a group that can do this. But I asked even my fellow ministers whether they would like to be in a group like this, and they think, hey, not possible today. But you know what? This, these questions are pushing people towards holiness. That means they were serious about holiness. It says that we might not be serious about holiness as a Methodist church now if we don't dare to do these questions. Uh, there's a modern version of this which is more interesting because at the end of all these questions, the last question is, have you just lied to me? 
So, putting off falsehood, to what end? To help us grow to be a holy people, so that we will be like God in righteousness and holiness. How do we do it? It means that we go to people whom we might have issues with, or we we feel that they need to change their lives, and to help clarify the situation. We don't go and say, nah, you, you, one, two, three, four, five, you're bad. I remember there was somebody who was above me that I had to correct because of the, the job that I was doing at one point. So I went to the person, and I basically apologized to the person that I had to bring it up. I said, sorry, I have to bring this up. Uh, I respect you. I salute what you are doing. But this is the area that I need to bring up to you. Is there something you can do about it? And the person repented and changed. So sometimes the approach is also important. See that we do it in a humble spirit. And don't make excuses about our sins. If you are talking about moving towards holiness... This is a very, very helpful passage. It says, it's not flirting, it's emotional adultery. It's not an intense discussion, it's verbal abuse. It's not one of the perks of the job, it's stealing. It's not catching a few more wings, it's laziness. It's not studying with friends, it's cheating. It's not saving money on music, it's stealing. It's not a platonic relationship, it's adultery. Today I call my sins what they are. Wrong. You see, we need to, as Christians and as Methodists, help each other grow towards holiness. We are vessels being molded, and we need to allow him to mold us. Click too fast. It's painful when he does that, but they are meant to be vessels holy unto the Lord. So what have we said so far? Three things, mainly. The first is the problem of hardened hearts that we need to deal with. Repeated sins, pride, disappointments, and hurts. We need to go back to the Lord and say, you know, help me guard my heart. For that's where life comes, where the streams of life are. And the prayer is, heal my heart, O Lord. The second is the need to die to ourselves. His purpose is in, in dying is that we might live less, not only less, that we will not live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. It's not, I have to be me. And the last is the call to us to help each other grow in holiness. And that is building a culture based on growth in holiness. Speak in humility to each other. Don't make excuses and allow ourselves to be molded into his vessels. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you and we know that we have not been what you have called us to be. Lord, first of all, we just ask you to heal our hearts whether it's from disappointments, whether it's from pain that we have hardened it, or whether it's some other reason that our hearts have turned hard. Father, would you just heal our hearts this week, that we might be able to feel as you feel, that we might be able to beat, to have that heartbeat as you have for all the people that we see around us and for situations where your healing needs to take place. Father, help us to learn to die to ourselves, that we might become your instruments of love. And help us to desire above all things, holiness in heart and life, which is your call to us as Christians and as Methodists. We pray, Lord, that we have this passion to be holy unto you, because you are holy and you have called us to be holy. So, Lord, we ask this week that you do the work in our lives and remind us each day 
of that call that we might become all that you meant us to be. In Jesus' name, 